You know, therapy wasn't something most black people grew up with. I just don't think we've had the room to fall apart. I look at my mom and my grandparents and my great grandparents, and there was always this silent backbone of a family. You know, there's always being supportive of your partner, being supportive of your friends and family and creating a community, and just being able to handle things. As a generation of Black women, you've just been expected to handle things and be okay. No one's ever going to give you the permission to fall apart and to be okay with that. And I think that's what I never learned. It's okay to fall apart because you can put yourself back together. Hi, everyone. It's Julia Bainbridge, and this is The Lonely Hour. The voice you just heard belongs to Cami Butler, the first of four people we're featuring in this mini-series about going off the grid in search of solitude. This is different from a solo vacation. The stakes are higher because these people are looking to reframe their lives and get some perspective. Will the sacrifice of leaving their families, friends, and familiar places pay off? They'll get swaths of time during which they can be with themselves and figure things out, but there's a risk because they'll also experience loneliness. Is there an upside to that loneliness? We begin to explore all of that with Cami. Things often happen in threes, and the catalyst for her trip was unfortunately a series of three tragic experiences. I was always an overachiever, and I left home when I was 16 years old and had a job since then, started working for Spike Lee when I was 17 years old. Cammie spent the next decade in New York working as a talent agent and producer for fashion ads. She put in good time at One Beauty Company as part of its internal creative team and was hoping to move up to the next level there. My boss at the time was just like, you know, we had this really big shoot coming up. And then when you were a producer, kind of when you moved into working on more celebrity shoots, is, is kind of like the promotion for moving away from doing like smaller stuff. And I'd always like worked really hard at work and, and got my work done and did what I needed to do. But she'd call me into the room and was just like, you know, I'm not going to give you this shoot to do. I'm going to pass it off to the other producer, which was what I had been vying for for like a couple months to start to work on some of these celebrity shoots. So I knew what that meant. And she couldn't really give me a real explanation at the time. And, you know, her excuse was that I just feel like you have so many other things going on which had nothing to do with work at all. At the time, I was volunteering for a charity, and I was running marathons. I mean, I had a life. That's what you do. And so it was just very disheartening because there wasn't any concrete reasoning. So that was a little bit of a blow because I was ready to kind of move up. And at the time, I'd been in the company for like maybe four and a half years. So that happened. And I was like, all right, well, brush it off and just keep it moving. And, you know, I knew it'd probably be time to look for something else to do. I just didn't know what direction I wanted to move in with that yet. Cammie learned that keep it moving approach from her father, former Baltimore Rams defensive lineman Jake Butler. Jake tried out for the Washington Redskins after his semi-pro time ended, but he didn't make the cut. So he went into business full time. Cammie says he had always had an entrepreneurial spirit. 
I admired him because he just never gave up. Even if no business ever was completely super successful, he just was like, all right, well, just pivot. What else are you interested in? Like, do this. And how can you maximize this? And so just hearing his stories of how he grew up, I mean, he grew up poor in Baltimore and shined shoes and bagged groceries and did anything he needed to do to just bring himself up. And so, you know, he just always had like that solid wisdom of advice of just like, I'm like, what do I do? You know, how do I maneuver through this? And and that's who I went to. Like he just he always had an answer. Cammy has an older brother and a younger sister, but she spent much of her childhood chatting with her dad. He would tell her about his relationship with her mother when they were still married, and he revealed things he wished he'd done with his career, especially in the professional football world. Our relationship was different because he was very honest with me, and he knew that I could see through him. I I think ever since I was little, I've always been able to read people very easily and just kind of see them for who they are, despite like the facade they may put on. My dad knew that about me. So he trusted me with a lot of information at a young age, but he also knew that I was going to hold him accountable. And I think that accountability is what made our relationship different than my siblings because he knew he couldn't pull the wool over my eyes because I would call him out on stuff. I mean, my parents had been divorced for a long time. And, you know, I'd always ask, well, who's that? Who's that person? Or who's that woman? Or why are they calling you? What does she want? And he just was like, you are feisty at 10, 12 years old. But I was also protective. And I was probably the most emotional one out of (laughs) of all three of my siblings. I still am. Uh, And I knew my dad identified with that, even though he didn't allow himself to be emotional. He never really showed emotion unless it was like at the pinnacle of something. You know, then it was just you could see it on his face. Everything was always glass half full. Let's just figure it out. And I learned a lot of that from him. I just was like, we just just get it done. Just do what we need to do. Let's just keep it moving. And so he formed a lot of the character of how I move through the world in a business sense and how I move through the world with not being emotional, connected to my emotions, but not acting on my emotions. Here and there, when she started traveling for work, scouting talent, Cammie's father would meet her. One of those trips to Las Vegas sticks with her. We just hung out, and he was like, this is what you do? You just hang out with pretty people and just drink and, like, have a good time? I was like, yeah, but that still works. So for him, it was just the atmosphere of being around that kind of energy. Like, he he loved big energy. He loved that kind of excitement and just the, the movement of it all. So it didn't look like work to him. My job didn't look like work, and, you know, It's different work than what most people do. But he would just come and just be proud. And just his presence would have been enough for me to be like, I got this. Like, I'm fine. I mean, that was a big dude. He was like 6'3", 240 football player. So his presence alone was just comforting. And her father's presence was just what Cammie needed when she'd been denied that promotion at work. So it was on set shooting. We were shooting in Williamsburg, and I was shooting for a client. And I got a phone call from my stepsister, actually. I saw that she had called and my sister called. And I was like, they never call back to back. It was maybe like 9 in the morning. And um, 
she's like hey did you see your messages i'm like no what's up they're like oh dad's in the hospital i'm like okay what happened they're like i don't know he fell on the treadmill at the gym so he's at the hospital and i was like all right i was like we think you should you should probably come down i think it's kind of serious I got to the hospital and my mom and everybody was there and then I went in to see him. He was hooked up to the machines and he had a breathing mask and every oxygen and everything and I knew when I saw him that he was gone. Her father wasn't ill leading up to this. He did have diabetes and high cholesterol, but he was keeping them under control. Heart disease certainly hadn't been part of the health conversation. Cammy's entire family was shocked to learn that he had died of a heart attack during a routine activity, jogging on the treadmill. Funny enough, it was Cammy's ex-boyfriend who drove her to Baltimore to be by her father's side. So I remember being on set and I got the phone call and I just organized my crew and was just like, as I have to leave, like, I think my, my dad's hurt. And I actually called my ex at the time because it was only, he was naturally just like the first phone call. I think the breakup had happened maybe like two weeks before that. So I called him and he was, he was, um, he was there. So he was like, yeah, I'm on my way. I'll come get you. They had been friends, best friends even, for a few years before they started dating. After that, their relationship vacillated between friendship and romance every few months over the course of a few more years. After a while, I was like, I can't, I can't do this anymore. We're going to be together. We're not going to be together. So we were not together. I've never really approached a relationship like that, like being friends for so long and it just has this natural evolution. So there's just a kindredness that you always have. And so it's, it's more heartbreaking because you lose the friend. Cammie went into producer mode after her father's death, planning the funeral, taking care of business. I never allowed myself to break. I didn't know what that looked like. When she returned to New York, though, she started to feel a loss of control. With the breakup happening, with my dad's death, with the job situation, everything I knew myself to be at that time was gone. Earlier that spring, Cammie had been to South Africa, and the place had stayed on her mind ever since. She started to daydream, thinking that with the exchange rate working in her favor, she could sustain herself for about four months. I was just like, well, I need to go somewhere else and figure out who I am now. And I can't do it in an environment that people know me for how I've been because I don't think I can be her right now. So she bought a ticket to Cape Town. I just remember driving through the city and the magnitude of Table Mountain. I'd seen it before, but now I could settle into it. It wasn't just like you were on a vacation. It was just like, oh, wow, okay. Just settling into the surroundings, the sounds of the place, the different dialects. I think that's what stood out the most when I was there. And the regular day was getting up, I'd go for a run, There was my favorite coffee shop that I go to every morning, order the same thing. It was muesli and yogurt and this ginger honey, and I'd sit and I'd have my coffee and my French press. 
And I literally would sit and write for however many hours. I told myself that I'm just gonna blog about this experience and see what comes of it. And that was my way of mourning and just kind of getting out what I was feeling through this whole thing. It was just so nice to be anonymous. Not that I was a rock star in New York, but I just knew that I didn't have to be anything to anybody in the time that I was here. Two months in, Cammie had made some friends. She was being invited to parties. But there were moments when it really hit her. I'm here by myself, really. I would always go to this area called Sea Point because that's kind of where I felt like I could connect with whatever was happening for me. And I remember sitting there and I was like, I am, like everything I've known to be the pillars in my life are gone. And I'm, I don't know how to do this. I, I don't even know how to maneuver through this world by myself like this. And I was like, this is really hard. This is hard to sit in a place that you chose to be in because you knew you were coming here, but to sit in a place where now you have to deal with all these demons of yourself, all these ideas of yourself, of who you thought you were versus who are you really? You know, are these... Is this who you became because of work? Is this who you became because of the relationship you were in? Time passed, and her four months were coming to an end. Money was about to run out. But she had started dating someone in Cape Town, and somewhere along the way, she had already decided to leave her New York job once and for all. And then she was offered an opportunity to start the first Cape Town art fair with the largest exhibition company on the continent. She took it. She stayed. Cami met with hundreds of galleries, curators, artists, collectors, and activists to understand both Cape Town's art landscape, as well as what people would want from such an event. She also put together a kind of international advisory board that included key leaders from the MoMA in New York and the Tate Modern in London. I took the job with so much excitement because there hadn't been an art fair on this, this style in Cape Town, and so... The people that I met at the time had trusted me with, wow, we think that you can pull this off and you can do this and you can organize this thing. And I'm like, listen, I am not a curator. Let's be clear. I don't come from the art world, but I am a producer and I'm pretty savvy about putting the right people in the right room to make something happen. So, of course, you know, I go to like retreat and not live my New York life. And here I am recreating my New York life in terms of intensity. You are who you are, no matter where you are. This and I have come to know and accept that. So, you know what? It's fine. And I exactly. So, yeah, I had this new relationship and I had this new opportunity. So I was like, these are the perfect storm to start over. This is great. Like, I'm passionate about art. I'm passionate about giving visibility to unrepresented artists on a global level, and now I have this relationship. Like, magic! This is amazing. And so I decided to stay. Things changed pretty quickly. Cami had eight months to put together the art fair, and while she hustled to build relationships, people at her company questioned her motives and her abilities. Who is this American with no experience in the art world? Does she plan to stay in Cape Town for the long haul? How invested is she? They kind of just questioned my intentions all the time. Like, 
Are you looking to just like take something from here? I can't quite put my finger on it. It was also very challenging being a person who was American, a New Yorker, a black woman in this role, because it's not something that was at the time I knew to be a thing, especially because it was on this magnitude. The company I was working for was the biggest exhibition company on the continent. I was the only person of color in the room of people who ran galleries and were directors of the museums and being an outsider. It'd be one thing if I was black and African and from the continent. So you take all those nuances and everyone's like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Explain American, yourself, child. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like, why are you here? I didn't use those words, but the, the expressions were that. Uh-huh. So after a while, I was just like, oh, my personality isn't just going to get over on me with this and just like my street smarts and wit about how to go about doing this. You know, they got me through it. They did. But I, I knew that I was up against a battle that was very different for me. She felt like an outsider. She felt misunderstood. And she felt like she wasn't able to be the person she had started to learn to be during those four months off. Those four months that I had spent kind of like reading this book and meditating and really tuning into self took me to a very contemplative place and a very still place. And now I had to be more of my New York self. I needed to make things happen and and be in rooms with people and kind of charm people and negotiate things. And so those two worlds kept colliding for me because I was still trying to figure out how to marry these worlds that I've come to know. And it's probably easy for some people, but I just had never saw myself from this perspective, from being fragile and vulnerable. I'd learned what that was in those four months. And so now I'm catapulted into this public position where I have to be strong and know what I'm doing and kind of manage all these large pieces of things. She would come home stressed, sometimes in tears, night after night, which was tough on her boyfriend. Eventually, that relationship ended. And once the art fair opened, she stepped away from the company. So here she was again, alone in Cape Town, unsure of her next move. Literally every day, every day, it was mustering the energy to face this job, to face these encounters, to face these conversations. And then to fall apart, you know, at the end of the day, to fall apart. And it was hard to understand what to do with that. You know, no one's giving, there's no book. There's no, like, roadmap. Really what you want is some elder or someone with some wisdom to just be like, okay, honey, listen, (laughs) this is normal. (laughs) You're dealing with a lot. And maybe it doesn't have to be these extremes every single time. Maybe there's a middle ground. You know, maybe that middle ground isn't always jumping into something that's super exciting and new. And yes, you can do it because you're running on adrenaline. That's great. But you also have come to know yourself to be fragile and emotional and empathic and in tune with your body and you know when something's off, you know when something's wrong, you know, moving from a place of instinct and real gut feeling. And I can only articulate that now because that's how I've been trying to live my life now. Cammy came back to New York for two years, 
But Los Angeles, a place where she could have some more room to breathe, kept calling her name. And that's where she's living now. She heads up creative operations for a beauty company. And I laugh now because like the first job I had gotten when I came back, I was freelancing. And my boss at the time, someone had said something and he was just like, I think you're very fragile. And you may take things a little personal, but it's not personal. It'll always resonate with me because I was like, shit, my vulnerability is showing. People see this side of me now. <laughs> and now and then no one's ever called me that in New York. Like if you ask someone I worked with, you know, years before I left, it was like fragile. Cammy, no. She's like very bold. She's very out there. She's very in your face. So now I was like, oh, shoot, I am different. I am showing up different. And so it took a while to learn how to maneuver those waters again. I started doing yoga and started to really be passionate about staying connected to like what I was feeling and body sensations and started learning about naturopath and Reiki and meditation because I knew I needed to stay connected to my feelings, connected to what came up. All those months of crying and pushing and pulling in South Africa. I'm like, they're all for a reason. Like, I get it. I want to still be connected to this. you to Cami Butler for sharing with us here at The Lonely Hour, and thanks to you all for listening. Do you have thoughts or questions about this episode? You can email me at lonelyhourpodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter and Instagram at Lonely Podcast, or you can find me on The Lonely Hour's Facebook page. And sign up for our newsletter at thelonelyhour.com, and you'll be the first to know when the next episode drops. Until then, enjoy your self. This episode was produced at The Listening Booth with the help of executive producer Terrence Mickey and audio producer Chris McLeod, who also composed our theme music. I hope you liked this episode. If you want us to keep making more, please become a member of The Lonely Hour on Patreon. That's the best way to support the show. Go to patreon.com slash thelonelyhour, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash thelonelyhour to learn more. Thank you for your generosity and for believing in this project.